good to see all of you here this morning and it feels nice to be with you and to have a full house worshiping the Lord together. I would like us to turn our Bibles to the Gospel, rather to Joshua. Joshua and chapter 7 and I'll commence reading from verse 16 through to verse 21. Joshua chapter 7, I commence reading from verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Kami, the son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted, and then I coveted them and took them, and see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. We are back in our series of messages through the seventh chapter of the book of Joshua, a series I've entitled Achan's Sin Lessons not to be forgotten. The goal is to learn on the doctrine of sin as we see it revealed or played out in the life of Achan. And this narrative stands as a constant warning to God's people in every age on the seriousness of sin. The book of Joshua teaches us that victory in the achievement of God's work must be by the putting forth of God's divine power on one hand and by obedient faith on God's people on the other hand. The history of the nation of Israel is coming to a history that is unique. For the history of Israel, or God's dealing with the nation of Israel, is a demonstration of God's almighty power in the unfolding of his redemptive history. When we come to the history of the nation of Israel, we have to read the history in light of the overaching view the redemption of man in Christ Jesus. And so every detail given in the unfolding of God's redemptive acts as seen in the nation of Israel are acts pointing us to the ultimate perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in those acts of God, we must be able to trace the unchanging thread of God's plan, the redemption of mankind. And this narrative has what I call the apostolic authority, and it stands on that authority. When Paul writing to the Corinthians, he said, all these things were recorded for our learning. 
And when he's writing to Timothy, the apostle Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And that instruction of Paul to Timothy was exclusively a reference to the Old Testament because that was the scriptures that were in circulation at that time. The New Testament was still being written. This morning, we continue in the, sec in the section where I began in the month of August before going on my annual leave in the month of September. It is the section where we have Achan's confession. And in that section from verse, from verse 19 all the way to verse 21, we've so far looked at the confession that God accepts in the confession of Achan. And I did say that we do not have any reason to believe that the confession of Achan was accepted before God. But neither do we have any reason to doubt whether God did accept that. But I did say that in Achan's confession, we see elements that of true confession where Achan acknowledges sin, and Achan did not court his sin. He acknowledges sin and he acknowledged that he had sinned against God. But also learned that in Achan's confession we see elements of confession which God does not accept. And it is a confession that is forced out of you. A confession when you have no way out. A confession which has no honor or glory of God. And this morning, we come to the 11th sermon in this particular portion of Scripture. And I've entitled my message this morning, The Misleading Charm of Sin. And this is sin in the three, the three verbs and the adjective of the chronicle of Achan's sin. I saw, I coveted, I took, they are hidden. And the abiding lesson from Achan's confession, it shows us this narrative, this account, this chronicle of a soul drawn into the snare of sin. A soul that is trapped in sin. And Achan gives us these narratives in those three verbs and in the adjective. And so I'd like us to open up the verse, particularly verse 21, and draw some lessons this morning. The first thing I'd like to show you, that the misleading charm of sin is seen in the presentation to the senses of human beings for the forbidden object. It is seen in the presentation to the senses of human beings for the forbidden object. And where am I getting that? It is in the words I saw. Verse 21, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from China and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them and see they are hidden in the earth inside the tent with the silver underneath. When I saw and the presentation is given to us in that verb, when I saw. Now this is not a reflex response to, to something. It's not a reflex response of our corrupt nature, but it's a response to a definite temptation. 
Now, there are times when you respond in a sinful way as a result of your reflex. For example, you are walking on the street, you are trying to come out of a building or out of your house, and you don't, you, there's an object in front of you, and you hit yourself into that object, and then you utter words that are not for public consumption or words that should not even utter, be uttered at all in private. That is sinful, but it's as a result of your re reflex. Because you didn't see the object, you eat yourself in the object, and then you said something. And that is out of the corrupt, your corrupt nature. But in this case, this was a response to a definite temptation. He saw. Let's try and use our imagination and walk down into Jericho. Achan, in strict obedience, in carrying out the commands of God through Joshua, right in the center of God's will, doing the precepts of God, the very things God said you must do. The Bible tells us he saw among the spoils. It was a response to a definite temptation. His eyes became the means of Achan's sin. Achan's eyes were not operating under the divine will of God. They were not under the divine operation. Achan had the clear instructions of God through Joshua. God, in, in rather in Joshua chapter 6, verse 17 through to verse 18, God was clear through Joshua. When you go into Jericho, destroy everything except Rahab and her family. And when you come across the gold, the silver and the bronze, bring it into the Lord's house. But everything is a curse. If Achan's eyes were operating under divine faith, he would have looked at the Babylonian garment or that garment from China, the silver and the gold, he would have looked at them and he would have said, this garment, no matter how beautiful it is, no matter how attractive it is, this garment is under the ban of God. It is a curse. And then he would have looked at the silver and the gold as a treasure that God has possessed and it must be brought into the house of the Lord. And he would not have viewed these items in isolation from what God had said. He would have looked at these items and he would have looked at them from what God had said and he would have said, surely I must carry these into the Lord's house and for the garment I must put the torch to it and burn it to ashes. And then you see, we are told that psychological process of the sin of Achan. As Achan is describing what happened to Joshua, we see that that narrative, that psychological process of the sin that Achan described, described is as old as sin itself. We are told Achan saw the garment. But also told in Genesis 3 verse, verse 6, Eve saw the fruit. We are told in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 10, And Lot saw the plains of the Jordan. And we are told in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 through to verse 4, and David saw a woman bathing.
Now you see the pattern there. It was a response to a definite temptation. And what we see in all these accounts is that there was a presentation to the senses for the forbidden object. And as David held his eyes on the, on the woman bathing, as Eve held her eyes on the fruit, as Achan beheld the garment, as Lot beheld the plans, there was this presentation to the senses of the human being, to their senses, such that it agrees and resonated with their will, and they reduced it to practice. This is what sin does. There is always a presentation to the senses of man. And that presentation resonates with your corrupt nature and creates this desire, this longing for that which is forbidden. And the lesson is clear for all of us this morning. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Discipline your eyes. Guard your eyes. Be like the old faithful Job. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Because the eyes are the inlet to the soul. Train your eyes to see things from God's perspective. Don't look at things in isolation. Look at them in totality. Look at them in what God has said about those things. If God says this is sin, it doesn't matter how presentable to your senses the forbidden object is. And also note very carefully that sometimes the presentation for the forbidden object may come in the course of doing God's will. Achan was right in the center of carrying out what God had instructed through Joshua. And we are told he saw. Guard your eyes. They are the inlet to your soul. Whenever you are tempted, or whenever sin presents itself to your senses and creates this desire for the forbidden object. Remember Achan. Remember Eve. Remember Lot. Remember David. That's how sin misleads people into the actual committing of the sin. There is always this presentation to the senses for the forbidden object. But secondly, we see that the misleading charm of sin is sin in the exciting desire it creates for the forbidden object. The exciting desire it creates for the forbidden object. Verse 21, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from China and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them. Then I coveted them. Three crucial steps in Achan's sin are given to us in verse 21. He saw, he coveted, he took. Having viewed the objects with the eyes of unbelief, he 
lusted after them. He coveted them. He longed for them. There was this exciting desire, wanting to get hold of that which he had seen and wanting to keep it for himself. He's saying, then I coveted them. What is coveting or what is covetousness? Covetousness is desiring that which you cannot obtain without violating the law of God. It's desiring that which you cannot obtain without violating the law of God. Covetousness in and of itself is sin. So Achan had already sinned by coveting that which he saw. And his covetousness directly assaulted God's personality. It insulted God. It insulted God's order of doing things. God had instructed the nation to be his instrument of carrying out his divine justice. He had instructed the nation that you will be my instruments to carry out divine justice to the rebellious nations of Canaan and all those surrounding them. And the Almighty God, in His, in his sovereign will, God who is sovereign in all things, in His sovereignty, He said to the nation of Israel through Joshua, You will be my instrument of divine justice. You will put to the torch everything in Jericho and it will be destroyed. Achan refused to obey God's clear instructions. His actions communicate a settled opposition in his heart. Achan was basically saying to God, God, I don't like your way of doing things. I don't. I don't like the way you've ordered things. I don't. You've said we must destroy everything, but I'm not going to follow what you're saying. I'm going to keep some of the spoils for myself. And that's what covetousness does. It's basically saying, God, I don't like your order of doing things. You've told me to wait for something. I will not wait. I want it, and I want it now. God had already told Joshua, I will share the land among the tribes of Judah, rather among the tribes of the nation of Israel. Each was going to have a portion. But Achan refused to wait upon God. He refused to follow God's clear instructions. And he desired the forbidden object. And his desire for that forbidden object appeared greater than to wait upon God. His passion and desire began to cloud his judgment. He doubted God's goodness. He doubted God's wisdom. He doubted whether God was in control. And he looked at this garment. He looked at the silver and the gold. And he said to himself, Surely I don't know what God is going to give me. But I will have something for myself. Just in case God does not give me that which I desire. And because he doubted God's goodness, it became easier for him to disobey God. Because he was thinking he knows better than God. The misleading charm of sin is seen in the exciting desire it creates 
for the forbidden object. When your present desires exceeds the present portion God has allocated to you in life, you begin to doubt God's goodness to you. You begin to doubt God's wisdom. You begin to doubt God. You doubt God's sovereignty. You think you know better than God. And this is what leads to covetousness. We are not content with your present situation in life. And you think, God, I know better. This is what I need. This is what I must have. And this is what I'm going to get. And God will say to you, but that's forbidden. You say, I don't care. I want it. And I want it now. How many young people have thought to themselves that God's call for purity is unrealistic. But Lord, there are these emotions I'm going through. And I want it, and I want it now. Even when God says, no, there's a place for that. He said, I know better what I want and what I need. Even when the Bible is clear, do not be equally yoked with unbelievers. And you think God is joking. And you say, oh, he is handsome. Oh, he's a gentleman. Oh, he treats me right. But the Bible is clear, he's not a Christian. God, I want it now. Isn't this what led Eve to sin against God? When she looked at the fruit and thought, I want it, and I want it now. And the serpent said, look, God is not working in your interest. In fact, if God knows that if you eat of it, you become like him. And Eve thought to herself, if God is not working in my best interest, then I may as well disobey God and reach out for the forbidden object. You may not understand why God forbids something now. But if you understand the doctrine of the goodness of God, It must be a perspective you stand on and view all of God's dealings with you. Don't allow the exciting desire that sin creates in you to cause you to sin against him. Say to yourself, I will listen and follow God's order. I will be content with the way God is dealing with me. His time is right because he knows all things and he knows that which I'm in need of today. The third thing I'd like to bring to your attention is this. The misleading charm of sin is sin in the commission of the deed necessary to the enjoyment of the forbidden object. It is sin in the commission of the act or of the deed necessary for the enjoyment of the forbidden object. And again, you see this in the third verb, when Achan says, Then I coveted them and took them. And you see the progression. I saw, 
I coveted. And it just didn't end there. I need to enjoy what I've coveted. I took. So the Bible is saying, the commission of the deed necessary for the enjoyment of the forbidden object. The sin which began in his heart soon spilled out. And when the Bible says, I took them, it's communicating to us that it was a well-coordinated effort. All the faculties of Achan were involved. The presentation to his senses. Then the excitement. Now the action. There was a, there was a coordination between his brain his, his will and his body. Achan would not have taken if he did not covet. And he would not have coveted if he did not see. The eyes presented the forbidden object. And then his brain processed it and sent the necessary reaction to the will. And then finally, the body responded with the right amount of energy in the muscles needed to lift the forbidden object. So you could see that all the faculties of Ekan were involved. He did not sin against his will. He took the garment, he took the gold, and the silver. And he was doing all these things with the words of Jehovah ringing in his mind loudly. Destroy the cursed things. Destroy the cursed things. The silver and the gold and the bronze must be brought in the Lord's house. That's the Lord's treasure. But Achan disobeyed all these things. And for him to enjoy the forbidden object, he needed to commission an action. He took them. And what we learn from there is no one sins against his will. Sometimes people try to give his excuse that I didn't know what I was doing. No one sins against their will. There is a well coordination going on within your eyes and your brain and every faculty of your being. You sin because you've seen, you've coveted, and now you're implementing an action that will make it necessary for you to enjoy what your brain has processed. No one sins against their will. You sin with all the faculties engaged. That even when the, the, the promptings are there, this is wrong, this is not right, you've processed it and you've reached a point where you're saying, I need an action to implement so that I enjoy the forbidden object. showing that which was planned in secret is now carried out in the open. Do you know yourselves? You know what I mean in those moments when you said, I sinned against my will or I didn't know what I was doing. You know it's a lie. Think of little children, or think of children, 
When mama say, don't eat the cookies, don't touch the ice cream, they've seen, <laughs> they've coveted. Now there must be a commission to enjoy. When mom is away, what do they do? Reach out for a cookie. And when court is, no, I just had one. No, I couldn't wait. Waiting was just too long. Even if you say they are for school, I, I just wanted one. And this is what sin does. It misleads. There's this allure, that, this attraction that it presents. And when you've seen and lasted, and now the only thing remaining is a plan in order to enjoy the forbidden object. And this is what we see in Achan. I coveted, then I took. He had, there was this well-engineered plan. And all the faculties were involved. A person who entertains the sin of lust will commission a plan necessary for the enjoyment of that sin. It may be a plan to fornicate or to commit adultery or a plan to engage in pornography and all kinds of things. And this is the warning we see from Achan. Deal with sin. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow. You reap later than you sow. And you see when you read the judgment upon Achan, he sinned alone. But he reaped more. His entire family was destroyed. And this was not in the moment. The, the punishment came later. And this is what we must learn. In that moment when you are caught in the web of the attraction of sin, remember, 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 you reap what you sow. And you reap more than you sow. And you reap later than you sow. This is what we learn when Achan says, then I took. And in the fourth place, and quickly, we see that the misleading charm of sin is seen in the deceitful execution in order to hide the forbidden object. It is seen in the deceitful execution in order to hide the forbidden object. And why do we see that in those words, in the last part of verse 21? And see, they are hidden in the earth, inside my tent, with the silver underneath. So there was this commission of the deed necessary to enjoy. And then you see now the deceitful execution in order to hide or cover up his deed. When Achan is asked by Joshua, tell me what have you done? Achan describes the things he took from Jericho and then he calls them the spoils. And this was in an effort to try and justify what he had done. Now, of course, when you read the Old Testament, wealth plundered from an enemy was usually considered a legitimate reward for participating in the plunder or in the, in the battle. 
But the wealth of Jericho was not spoils or plunder. God had said it is a curse. Burn it, destroy it. But the silver and the gold must be brought in my house. Everything in the city except Rahab and the family and except the silver and the gold was to be destroyed. And so Achan in the midst of the battle while his comrades were up in arms, running around, lifting the gold and the silver and the bronze, taking it to the Lord's house and bending everything, putting everything to the torch. Achan was sneaking some of the spoils into his tent. And the fact that Achan hid the plunder shows he knew what was doing was wrong. That's the reason why he hid the plunder, because he knew that this is against what God had said. And his action shows us the deceitfulness of sin and the anxiety that sin brings. No sooner had he gotten the possession of the plunder than it became his burden trying to see how do I hide it? How do I cover up my tracks? Achan, you know this is wrong. Achan, you know what God had said. And Achan could not freely roam the streets of Israel. He could not roam the streets of the camp without thinking that someone may have seen him. He was not living upward to God and outward to man. He lost his sense of freedom. All his brethren in the camp became a threat to him. Anyone who tried to, to come close to him was a threat. He was thinking to himself, maybe this man knows what I've done. Maybe they want to come and check my tent. If he saw anyone hovering around his tent, he was thinking to himself, are they, are they going to discover the things I've hidden? Or maybe someone has reported that I've buried something in my tent. He lost his sense of freedom. And all because of his deceitful execution in order to hide the forbidden objects. This is a problem of sin. This is the misleading charm of sin. It makes you to become dishonest in your execution of things. Because you know you have the forbidden object with you. And therefore, you try all tricks so that you can cover up your tracks. A lady trying to hide sexual sin may lead her to execute abortion in order to hide the sin. An accountant who's forging or committing fraud or falsifying records or figures may try to hide his ill-gotten wealth. A Christian who's not living right with God may become lonely in the midst of a multitude of brothers and sisters because everyone is a threat to them. You fail to invite your brothers and sisters to your home to come for a sleepover. At least they find Babylonian garments in your home. 
You fail to invite them for a meal because you are afraid of what they will find. You are not free to relate with them. And even when they ask about your whereabouts, you are quick to cover up your steps, to cover up yourself, because you know that if I stay longer in the company of my brothers and sisters, I may begin to say what is in my heart to their shock and their amazement. And so I begin to be aloof, giving all kind of excuses. When they ask you, you're busy saying, I'm busy, I'm working, I'm a student. We all work. You are not the first student. It's because you've lost your sense of freedom. You are trying to do everything to cover up your sin. Look at your life. What Babylonian garment are you keeping? What forbidden objects are you entertaining? And you're busy trying to cover up your steps. Learn from Achan. Sin misleads. Sin has this charm. Sin gives you this attraction, but there's a hook to it. And it entices you, and you get hooked to that sin. Search yourself. And get rid of that sin. Turn away from that sin. It will destroy you. You may be attracted now. You may be seeing it charm. It will destroy you. Turn away from it today. Today. Before you are destroyed. The misleading charm of sin is seen in the presentation to the senses for the obedient object. It is seen in the exciting desire it creates for the forbidden object. It is seen in the commission necessary for the enjoyment of that forbidden object. It is also seen in the deceitful execution in order to hide the forbidden object. Sin changes your perspective of God because sin is a restless unwillingness on the part of the creature to abide in the sphere and the limitation in which the wise creator puts you in. This restless unwillingness, wanting to gratify yourself, not willing to wait upon God, the only standard of measuring sin is when it is viewed in the holy character of God. Because sin is against God. Sin insults God. Sin is an injury to God. But thanks be to God that this misleading charm of sin points us to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had no iota of sin in him. The holy, righteous, blazing eyes of the Father scanned through the Son and nothing sinful was found in him. 
And on the cross, the father was well satisfied with the son. And this is why we call you this morning to rest your soul in the perfect obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin's charm had no stain on him. Even when he was presented with the treasures, the pleasures, and the riches of this world, he did not yield to the temptation. He waited upon the Father. And on the cross, he gave up his life. And the Father raised him on the third day. And he has given him all authority in heaven and on earth. And this is why we call you this morning. Rest in the perfect obedience of Christ. He has no iota of sin in Christ and in Christ and in Christ alone. Will you find forgiveness of your sin? In Christ, you'll be able to tame the misleading charm of sin. In Christ, you'll find freedom to save God, freedom from sin. In Christ, as the hymn writer puts it, my hope is found. You who battles and wrestles with sin, you know your heart. There are those things that go through your heart and you not want your spouse to know of them. The lust of your eyes, the covetousness of your heart, and the deceitful de execution of some of the desires of your heart. You know your heart and every day you are prone to wonder. You know it. You feel it. And we call you, if you are not a Christian, to rest in the perfect obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are a child of God, stop being misled by sin. Don't be misled by sin. Don't allow the charm of sin to attract you, to allure you, and to mislead you into sinning against your God. Sing with the hymn writer, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life. He is my everything. And in Christ, even though I struggle every day with the temptation of my heart, in Christ I can sing, no guilt in life, no fear in death. Why? Because my life is in Christ who had no iota of sin in him. And I can stand before the Father dressed in the righteousness of Christ and I can say, He has done it for me. Oh, that you may come to Christ today. There is freedom in Christ. There is forgiveness in Christ. Heed the gospel call today for the forgiveness of your sin. For the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.